Our scripture reading and sermon text this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. I lead in our reading this morning from the New International Version. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised, rude, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This is the word of the Lord. Who is the most polarizing person you know? Who's the one? And there's always a little bit of controversy around them. Uh, in my house, the Harnett household, uh, believe it or not, it's me. I thought I'd be right in the middle. But apparently, I bring the controversy. Uh, how about in, public, in the public world? Uh, the world of politics. There are names like Justin Trudeau or Donald... Someone laughed. I just wanted to keep moving so that... <laughs> uh, Donald Trump. There are polarizing figures. Our mayor is polarizing. Uh, how about in industry? Industry leaders are often very polarizing. Uh, Elon Musk is polarizing. Uh, Steve Jobs... Uh, one of the founders of Apple, he very polarizing during his time. You know what, what's fascinating is this. As Canadians, we're kind of intimidated by being polarizing. We kind of like to go along, get along. We like just easy, smooth roads. The winter's tough enough. Let's make life simple, smooth. But as we look today at our text, we're going to see this. Jesus was no stranger to polarization. Uh, that actually, if you look at Jesus, we're in this series called All Lies on Jesus, as we're looking into the character of Jesus through the book of Matthew, we're going to see this. Jesus is polarizing. In fact, he's the most polarizing figure in human history. Uh, he's going to claim this more and more. He's going to get more aggressive about it. He says, look, I, I, if, you, if you receive me as I am, I have the potential to even tear your family apart. That's what Jesus says. And he doesn't apologize for it. However, what we will also see is this. How does Jesus deal with that? How does he deal with controversy? So today, Foothills, I, I want to actually just call us. My interest kind of simple. That's where, where we're going today. Here's what I hope, though. I hope for those of us who brave the elements, the few, the proud, the strong, the Marines, and you online as well. You can repent and come to the 11. It's okay. No, just to, we love you. Here's what I hope we do. Hope we pause and see him. I don't know about you, but this season for me has been probably too busy, too fast. And my ability to pause and look at Jesus has probably been less than I'd desire it to be. Maybe for you too. If you're here and you're exploring faith, here's the great news. We're just going to look at him. That's our big task. Just give us Jesus today. 
That's what we're going to aim to do. So that being said, I invite you to pray. If you're here and you're exploring faith, new to faith, here's what I'd say. Jesus, would you show me yourself? For the rest of us, it would be a great thing for us to pray today too. Oh, we want Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we want to know your son. We want to know you. And Jesus, we thank you that you said you would reveal the Father to us. And you could reveal yourself to us. So today we ask for that. Spirit of God, I pray for, for all of us that you would speak to us, that you'd speak through me and also to me, and we would really see Jesus. And Jesus, that we would see you as you are, not as we would like you to be. And God, for, for those of us who are in the room or watching online who are exploring, pray that today they would, would see you so that they might hear you and, and actually decide to follow or to not follow, but they would have an honest insight into who you are. And God, I pray for those of us uh, who are wearied in the room, wearied in soul and mind. Jesus, you're so amazing. You're so tender and kind. Uh, today, would you be real joy to us? And we thank you that's who you are. And we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. So if you got a Bible, you can flip to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, that's where we're going to be, verses 15 through 21. Uh, just a, a little context to get us back into the swing of things. Uh, what happened previous is uh, Jesus, and Pastor Jason preached. Uh, I never call him Pastor Jason, by the way. I just call him Jason. Sometimes I call him Fan or Fan the Man. That's office lingo, depending how the day is going. But Fan the Man, he preached last week about Jesus and the Sabbath and how Jesus actually got into this contentious battle with the religious elite of his day and the power brokers of his society, and they actually left wanting to murder him. Because Jesus is actually upending their system so deeply and so profoundly that they go, we cannot tolerate him anymore. Jesus is overthrowing what you might call the establishment of his day. And so it ends with the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So we'll pick up in verse 15. Aware of this, so Jesus is aware that there are people plotting to murder him. It says this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. So uh, first thing we need to see is this. Uh, Jesus, he somehow was aware of the plots and plans of those who despised him. The plots and the plans of those who despised him. Uh, think about your life. Who in your life do you go, they might not like me. Somehow, Jesus had antagonized these Pharisees so much that they hated him. They wanted to malign him. Now, a couple of questions. One is this. We're going to do a little bit of theologizing. Uh, one is this. How did Jesus know? How did Jesus know what the Pharisees were saying? Uh, well, the scripture is a little bit silent here uh, because it doesn't say, and he overheard them whispering in the corners. Somehow he just was aware of this. Now, what will happen is this. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to faith, what you need to know is Christians believe this, that Jesus simultaneously is both 100% divine and 100% human. And that this reality is what Christ is. He is both fully God and fully human in a mystery called the hypostatic union. 
So if you want to do some further reading today, hypostatic union. It's wonderful. Now, what does that mean? It means this, that Jesus, sometimes when we read texts like this, we assume that Jesus, the reason he can be aware of what his enemies are saying is because he flips on the God switch. And he goes, I know what you're thinking. But if Jesus could do that, he no longer is living a fully human life. Like, hear me, if I could, think, if I could flip on a switch and know what you were thinking about me, my ego might grow to the moon. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> or it might shrink dramatically. And, and I wouldn't have a normal human experience. Hear me, this is so important to the life of faith. Because if you want to know what it means to have Christ live in you, then you cannot assume that Jesus just flips on the God switch every time something miraculous happens. Because what will happen is is this, you will fall into a ditch where Jesus will never become an example for you in your life. Alternatively, we need to remember that Jesus is fully God. And that's important for two reasons. So so the the church generally falls into one of two ditches on this hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man. Uh, Some churches will fall into this, this pattern of thinking that Jesus is only just a human. Now, they might not say that publicly, but what they will do is they'll say this, Jesus is your example. You should live like Jesus. And and Foothills, can I be honest? A church like ours, we don't generally fall into that camp. We fall into the other camp where Jesus is God. He dies to pay the penalty of our sins because he's God. He's infinite. He can pay for the sins of every human being because he's worth a lot more than you and I. And his moral record is absolutely pure so he can make the rebirth of humanity and he's powerful and almighty and wonderful. We generally fall into this camp. The problem with the camp most of us will fall into is this. We will not take seriously the life of Jesus and its implications for our life in the 21st century. We will think that Jesus could do that, but I could not. But if you read the Bible carefully, what you'll see in John chapter 5, Jesus will over and over and over say, I only do what I see my father doing. I only say what my father says. Here's what Jesus is saying. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing under the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this in our text. That Jesus doesn't just flip the God switch. He could flip the God switch, but he doesn't flip the God switch. Why? He lives a human life, morally perfect. But he does so, the book of Hebrews will tell us, so that he can be a high priest. Now, what? What does that even mean? What does it mean? Here's what it means. The high priest represented one person to God. They were the one who'd say, I'm going to mediate the presence between you and God. And and what happened was this. Jesus said, I will mediate between you and God. Why does that matter? Here's what it means. Jesus' very human life means this. He knows what it feels like to be a person. So like when you're tired, some of you are tired today. You're sleepy. You didn't get enough. Shame on you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I mean, it's this, that Jesus goes, I know what it's like to be exhausted. And I know the temptation. Now, he, he doesn't snap at his family. But he knows the temptation, the pull, the desire, the want to just be like, ah, I'm sick of this. And then to say things he ought not to say. But he didn't. So Jesus, he can empathize with us in our weakness in every way. And you need to know this. If, if you've never heard this about Jesus, he understands what your human life is like. He understands the pulls and the draws and the desires 
that every single one of us have. And that makes him, when he shows mercy to us, it means this. He, he battled through all the temptations we had. So he didn't fail where we did. So he could judge. But instead, he becomes the one who justifies, who, who says, you're innocent now. Because I, I went through it all for your sake. That's Jesus. And here's what it also means. The scriptures make it really, really clear that if you become a Christian, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit of God comes and lives within you and gives you a new life and new spiritual resources. And, and, this will be controversial. And, uh, you could send me an email. It's cold. It'll arrive slowly. <laughs> that the Spirit comes and lives in you. And there is some intimation that the Holy Spirit lives upon you as well. In you is the new birth, the new life that you, you, with outside of Christ, if you're here, you're outside of Christ, the Bible will say this, you're spiritually dead. That's what the Bible says. I didn't write it, so if you're offended, blame the author, not me. It says you're spiritually dead. But if you come to Christ and get united to him, the Holy Spirit comes and gives you new birth. And, and, that the Holy Spirit there's language around this. It, he fills us, renews us. There's this verse in Ephesians that says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. But that filled with the Holy Spirit is like an ongoing recurring habit. So how, do I, how does this work functionally for me? Uh, routinely in the shower, I will have a prayer. By the way, you can borrow this. It's wonderful. Spirit of God, please fill me afresh for today. Because Jesus will see this. He operates out of the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what that means for you and I. Some of us, we have a moderate, mundane, lame Christian life. I've been there. And it could be that, that the Spirit of God is within you, but the Spirit of God, in some way, you vexed, grieved, frustrated the work of God in your life. And he goes, I can't really move in power through your life. So, Jesus, fully human, means he's our example. Somehow, I believe, and we'll see this intimated in the text, Jesus knows what his enemies are thinking because the Spirit of God is leading him. He just knows. God, goes, I, God knows all things. Jesus doesn't flip the God switch. He could at any time, but he lives a fully human life. And so the Father tells him, probably through the Spirit. Okay, second part, though. If you only make Jesus your example. Here's the problem with Jesus only as a human. If Jesus is your example and only your example, he will crush you morally. He'd just destroy you. Because he'd be, why don't you just live like Jesus? How's that going for you? How was your drive today, yesterday? How's the conversation with your spouse? What are your levels of complaining. The Bible says, do everything without complaining or arguing, Philippians chapter 2, so that you may be children of God. Uh-oh. Here's what that means. It means Jesus never, ever, ever complained. He never grumbled. Ever. If, G if that's your example for how you ought to live, that weight, the weight of Jesus' moral beauty and profundity, which is a fun word to say, will crush your soul. You can't live up to him. That's why Jesus also must be divine. He's got to save you. So, that was our uh, verse 1a. 
of our time together. It says this. So after aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Here's what you need to know. When it comes to Jesus and controversy, uh, Jesus, he's in the middle of this contention with the Pharisees. Now, a couple of things you need to know. One is this. Jesus, he retreats. So, a couple of things we got to hold about Jesus. We're just trying to see Jesus today. Jesus is so courageous. Like, he's so courageous. Jesus is so courageous, he will confront what's wrong and broken in the world to the point where people go, we are going to murder you. And they will. So Jesus is not, he's not flimsy. He's not scared. He's not a coward. Jesus is the most brave human being who's ever lived. He's also God. He was fully, fully courageous. Jesus always spoke the truth, always spoke it in love. He was not afraid. Jesus is fearless. And yet, Jesus is not just contentious. How many of you, how many of you kind of enjoy like a, a disagreement or a fight? Anybody? All right, we got six of us. The rest of you are rather nice. And I don't believe a third of you. Uh, you know who you are. Jesus wasn't afraid of contention. But also Jesus wasn't, like some of us, some of us are like, yeah, let's wrestle around a bit. Jesus, he's not just antagonizing the Pharisees to antagonize them. He's not doing that. And, and so this is a good lesson for, for those of us who are saying, I want to follow Jesus. For us, some of us in the room, it means a lot of us, we're going to have to get a whole lot more courageous. Come on, some of us know. But some of us, it also means we got to, sometimes you just got to go, I'm going to retreat. Just going to back out, bow out of this conversation. It's okay. This is who Jesus is. What's also interesting, though, is they're angry with Jesus because he heals and he heals on the Sabbath. What's fascinating is this. The very next verse says, a whole bunch of people followed him and he healed them too. So Jesus, he, he retreats from the conflict and then he does the exact same thing and the text doesn't say that there's a date change. So potentially on the exact same date, the Sabbath, that he had planned to do. So here's the interesting part. Jesus goes, I have my mission. I have my marching orders from my heavenly father. And no matter what you say, no matter what you do, you won't stop me from doing the work and will of God. But I'm not going to fight you at every moment. Here's a question for reflection. Uh, what, what work, what will of God have you bowed out of because of a fight or conflict? Come on. Some of us, like, you, you know, you, you walk through high school and you go, I had this sense to be a witness for Christ in my high school. And then there was conflict. You were mocked. You were made fun of. Come on, some of us, you can think back to high school. Some of you were in it. And you go, oh, I shrank back. Gave up on the mission. Some of us, it happened in our careers. Where have you shrank back? Jesus didn't shrink back. He kept doing the mission. Sometimes he just said, I don't need to engage in a fight. Verse 16. He warned them this is the crowd, not to tell others about him. This again is just a shocking part of Jesus' ministry. It's often referred to as the messianic secret, verse 16. So Jesus, he does something miraculous. The power of God shows up. Remember, 
we're going to be prone to think Jesus turned on the God switch and started healing people. This will get even more controversial. He didn't. Jesus did not heal out of his divinity. If you don't believe me, go read Acts chapter 10, verse 38. The early teaching of the church was this. Jesus did everything he did, breaking down the works of the devil through the power of the Holy Spirit. Which means in some way, shape, or form, you and I can be like Christ in this world. Broken, flawed, <laughs> incomplete, and screwed up. But Jesus did these things. But he says, he warns them not to tell others about him. And then... A couple of thoughts just on that. Sorry, I was going to move forward, but I'm not going to yet. We haven't milked this one dry of all of its goodness. So Jesus, he orders the people not to talk about him. Why? A uh, number of reasons. One is this. He doesn't want the movement to get hijacked and be just a healing movement. Jesus goes, I'm doing something much deeper here as an usher in the kingdom of God. So he doesn't want the people or the crowds to misunderstand him. And it seems he doesn't want to just inflame conflict before the timing of God for him to go to the cross. Jesus is going, there's a timing to all of this that God's actually working out. Uh, this is a good, good word for people like me, and maybe for some of you, which is simply this. There are good things that God will ask you to do, but good things and God things not done in God's timing sometimes lead to disaster. That sometimes there is good that you and I ought to do, but not right now. This occasionally happens in marriages. Sometimes my wife has a very good thing she should tell me. I, yeah, I need you to laugh here or I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> I'm just playing here now. This is just fun. Sometimes there's, my wife and I, this is, a, this is just a fun aside, simple one. Uh, we have a rule, don't make plans after 10 p.m. No planning after 10 p.m. And, and the reason is, I'm just way too tired. I just look at her and I go, I don't know. I don't care. Do whatever you want. And she's like, are you mad at me? I go, no, no, I've just given up on the world. But at 6.30, I'm ready to go. So the wrong timing sometimes can disrupt the plan and work of God. So Jesus, he's doing that. One other thought, too, is just a comment about the religiosity of the people around him, the Pharisees. Why did the Pharisees get so angry at Jesus? We're going to see this battle over the Sabbath, a whole bunch. This battle over a day of rest. This day of rest, Jesus goes, you can do good things on a day of rest. God, so the Jewish mindset was this. There was this creative order, and on the seventh day, God rests. Therefore, we should follow the pattern of God and rest as he did. And Jesus is going to disrupt that by doing things that were classified as work. One of those things was healing people. And Jesus, over and over and over, he'd make arguments like this. Hey, if you could do a good thing on a day of rest, why wouldn't you do that good thing? Like, if you, if you could restore a broken marriage on the Sabbath, why wouldn't you do that? Why am I supposed to be resting? The whole point is rest and restoration. This guy's got a shriveled hand. Wouldn't it be a great day on the day where God rested from all his labor to give this guy a break? So there's this battle. The Pharisees were enraged with Jesus because they couldn't stand up to his arguments. Why? Jesus' arguments were moral arguments. Jesus said, isn't this a good thing and the work of God? Can't you understand? And here's why the Pharisees hated Jesus, because they had a religious heart. 
The religious heart, whenever it views true virtue and true beauty, hates it. This manifests in our life, by the way. I'll give you insight into a church leader's mind. I'm going to go into the dark side. And then I'll we'll pick some cultural examples, and you can do some parallel learning. Here's what happens sometimes in church world. Sometimes, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. Pastors, they'd like their ministries to grow. Shocker. We'd like it to get bigger and better. Me too. Sometimes what'll happen is you'll see somebody who's a wonderful, amazing leader, and, and God is bringing lots of fruit and vitality to their ministry, and things are going really well, and here's what will happen. People, like me, sometimes me, will go, oh, yeah, whatever. They're just, they're just doing things to attract people. Or my ministry is really better. We just go deep, not broad. <laughs> oh, yeah, some of you know. Or they only got ahead because they started a church in a new community that's really growing. If I was there, I would have done even better. Now, you folks would never do anything like that, analogous. Because it's very hard when, you're, when your value and worth is based on your performance, it's very hard to look at somebody who's performing really well and go, good for them. I'm so pleased. That's amazing. Well, I'm not loved based on my performance. This is the Christian gospel, by the way. You're not loved on your performance. You're loved on the goodness and graciousness of God who looks at you even as you sleep like a little child and goes, I made that one. I love them. Oh, I want to redeem some broken things. Some of their life is really messed up. I want to walk with them, restore them, redeem them, and give them a whole new kind of life. But when you're trying to perform your way into good standing with God, when you see people acting morally and beautifully, you will hate them. Let's give a cultural example. There's this guy named Mr. Beast. If, you're not, if you don't know Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast is a YouTube creator. He makes videos that are very addictive for people with short attention spans. And he might be the best in the world. He's got 100 million people have subscribed to his YouTube videos. 100 million. So he's got a bit of an influence. One of the things that Mr. Beast recently did is he decided he wanted to bring water to areas of Africa where there were no wells and there was no fresh drinking water. And do you know how our society repaid him for this wonderful act? They said he was racist, a colonialist, that he shouldn't have done this, he was only doing it for attention, and, and just skewered him. Uh, we'll do some more examples. Let's use Oprah. Oprah Winfrey. You know, there's, there's online, there's this running joke that Oprah Winfrey, if you go to an Oprah Winfrey show, and maybe some of you have, God bless your soul, that Oprah sometimes will do giveaways. And occasionally, randomly, she would go, everyone in the audience gets a car. That will grow a ministry, by the way. <laughs> Shrink the budget. <laughs> you get a car, you get a car, you get, everybody's getting a car. And then there's some funny jokes around that on the World Wide Web. But a lot of us cynically just go, she's only doing that to make herself look good. See, your religious heart can't just let a good thing be a good thing. I wonder where in your life or my life we've looked at other people doing good things and then we've gone, I wonder why they're really doing that rather than just going, praise God. That's a good thing. That's the Pharisees. And what else? I want us to be careful because our hearts can become hard. My heart can get hard towards other things and other, th other works that God is doing through other people. And God would go, no. 
not for you. Don't become cynical about the goodness of others. All right, let's talk about the character of Jesus for the last handful of minutes here. Verse 17. Uh, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And here Matthew's going to give us the longest Old Testament quotation in the entire book. So a few thousand verses. This will be the longest quote that Matthew will give us. This is to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So this book called Isaiah, written by the prophet Isaiah, was written 600-ish years prior to the birth of Christ. So here's what it says. Here's my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. And many of us are familiar with this line. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. What I love about this little text here is Matthew gets really excited about these, this little section of teaching. Little section. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Then he runs, like, runs away, for lack of a better term. And then starts healing some more. And he goes, I need you to get this. This is what God was talking about in this text of Isaiah 42. Now, Isaiah 41 and 42, if you go and read them, they're what are called the servant songs of Isaiah. The servant songs of Isaiah. And the servant songs of Isaiah have this weird interplay where sometimes, if you read it, you'll see, it it seems to be talking about a collective of people. And then it'll like switch to this one person, this servant. It'll actually lead us all the way into like Psalm 53 where Jesus is a suffering servant. Talks about this servant who will suffer to bear up the guilt and shame of people who couldn't do it on their own. So what do we see here about Jesus? One is this. uh, Jesus' relationship with the Father is one of great affection and love. Like tender affection. I chose you. I love you. I'm for you. This, This is my beloved servant. That word there, servant, actually is interesting because in the original Hebrew language and now in the Greek language uh, that it was translated into for the New Testament, that word isn't the normal word for servant. It has this interesting nuance, and you could do some further research if you'd like, it has this nuance of my servant son or my son servant. It has almost this obedient servant but child intonations to it. So Jesus, one thing you need to know about Jesus is this. He just walked in the love of God. How about you? How about you? If you're here and you're in Christ, that's what it means to be a Christian, you're in Christ. Today, do you go, oh, my true identity, the thing that beats most deeply in my heart is I'm God's son or I'm his daughter. Is that there? Don't lie about that, by the way. If it isn't there, you go, God, I'm going to need some help. I've forgotten. I've missed that. Or perhaps I've never experienced that. Could you help me with that? Then it says this. I'll put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about this idea of um, the spirit being on us. Because the spirit was on Jesus. The Holy Spirit was sent for two reasons. One, to give us new life in Christ, and two, to equip us for, for actually being his ambassadors, witnesses, little images of Jesus in the whole world. And here's what you need to know. 
I want us to know so deeply that in terms of walking with the sense of the fullness of the Spirit upon us, that can go away. Not the stuff within you, okay? So the Spirit inside of you giving you new spiritual life, when you are united to Christ, you don't lose that because you didn't earn it. You didn't grab it. You didn't put it in yourself. You can't throw it away. It's just in there. We can one day argue about the doctrine of election and free will. You'll be great, but not today. Okay, so you can't lose that. But, but the sense that you are living like Jesus in the flesh today, it can go away. Today. Today. Just be honest. Because this is like the cause of Christ in our time, in our nation. This is like about generations that will go beyond us. This is about like humanity in our time. Like if, if we the church don't understand that we can live like Christ in this world and we refuse to humble ourselves and pursue that with all that we are, then we get more of what we have in Canada. So here's the question. Today, do you have a sense that Jesus Christ is living in and upon you? That there's like a, a virtuousness of God about you? Because you can't manufacture it. Like, I can't manufacture it. Can I be honest? There, there are times, I, I have lots of seminary training. I have lots. I know how to say the right things. I know I, I've done lots of public speaking and communicating. I know how to speak so that we can, I can make you feel things emotionally. And all of that is nonsense because, can I just be honest, the Kyle Harnett show is not worth showing up to. And the world will not be won by respectable human beings. The world will be transformed by Christians living in the power of the Spirit of God. And so many of us live without a sense of the Spirit upon us. And if that's us today, because I've, I've walked in seasons here at Foothills where I go, it's, it's the Kyle show, and God, would you use this crappy effort? And I just don't have that richness and sense of your life and vitality. If that's you, here's what you do. You get on your knees, you fast, you pray, you seek him for your own sake, but also for the sake of Christ, for the sake of your family, the sake of your work. This is Jesus. See, the beautiful part about Jesus, he always walked with that richness. This is also what we offer to those of you who have never come to Christ. We don't offer you to come and become a nice person who wears very comfortable clothes. We invite you to experience the deep, profound beauty and joy of life with God. And there's nothing like it. So we don't just hold out this little pale, flimsy gospel or a philosophical worldview or even life insurance for when you die. Although it does have that, and that is amazing. You should take that. But it's so much deeper and richer. This is Jesus. And then verse 19, we'll just wrap up here. The interesting part about Jesus, he didn't quarrel or cry out. He wasn't a fighter. As courageous as anybody. He didn't yell in the streets. And then he says this, verse 20 and 21. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory. A couple of interpretive options for this final little section of text. Uh, one is this. Uh, some scholars will say that this text just shows us the devastating and beautiful and amazing compassion of Jesus. He sees a person with a hand that's withered 
And he goes, I can't help. I will take heat. I will take people plotting my death to do what's good and right and beautiful. It's his compassion. That's what Jesus is like. So if you're here and you're in pain and you're wounded and you go, no one would love me, Jesus would and Jesus does. That's who he is. His heart is like drawn with compassion. And I need you to know, if you, even this week, if you have done something that you are ashamed and embarrassed about, and it's like a dark sin and an evil sin and a great transgression, and you violated your moral grounding, what you need to know is Jesus' compassion is drawn to you. It's drawn to you. And I I know sometimes I overuse um, the analogy of parent, but that's what Jesus thought of God was like. God is like a father to a child. When your child is in mortal and grave danger and made huge mistakes, uh, the heart of a parent goes, I love you. I'm here. Don't, Don't run away. That's the heart of a true friend. The heart of a true friend is, you've never been in a worse spot. I'm coming. This is Jesus. It's who he is. He's so compassionate. He won't snuff you out. Have you received him? Let's close. We're going to pray. A couple of ways to pray. One, some of us need the compassion of Jesus. I didn't anticipate this being an emotional one for me today. Perhaps it's fitting, though. Today, some of us need his compassion, but more never. Some of you need it for the very first time of God, like some of that spiritual life. Some of us, we go, that richness, the spirit upon us, go, come on, it's not there. We're going to ask for a fresh filling. Two prayers. Compassion, filling. Invite us to pray. And uh, you can close your eyes and bow your head. Some of us are uh, racked with, or riddled with guilt and shame. Some of us are just numb. And we need the compassion of Jesus. Some of you have never begun a relationship with God through Christ. You need his compassion. This prayer is for you. You can pray in your head and your heart out loud. Jesus, have mercy on me. Have grace on, and then you can fill in the blank. Receive the forgiveness of Christ. Just declare over this room and online the tenderness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Spirit of God, would you come and just pour out the ministry of Jesus on every man and woman and child who needs it today. Second prayer is for those of us who go, there has to be more. I've experienced more. I long for more. I'm just going to invite the Spirit of Jesus to fill us afresh. Here's the prayer. Jesus, I feel empty. I know that you live within me. Fill me again, please, with your Holy Spirit. Fill me afresh. 
Fill me with the love and the power and compassion and glory of Christ. So come, Holy Spirit. Fill men, fill women. There are some people in this room who had a beautiful calling and they forgot. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are some of us who have grown weary in well-doing. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are some of us who have been battered down and beaten up and were a bruised reed, a smoldering wick. Be filled with the Spirit of Christ. And Jesus, we thank you for your great character. We thank you that you are never afraid, that you are absolutely fearless. You are unbelievably courageous, but also you don't intend to just be contentious for no reason. Jesus, we thank you that you are both human and divine. Jesus, we thank you that you are our example, but you are also the one who saves. And so, Lord Jesus, we love you and we lift our eyes to you and we praise you. And all God's people said, amen.